Have you ever been in a place or got to a situation in your life where you suddenly go, God, why did you bring me here? Why am I here? Why, why, why? I mean, you might be in that situation right now, not in here, hopefully not. But, but you might be in a situation in your life, how, how did I get to this place, Lord? How did you lead me to this place? How did I get to this place? I'm not sure I want to be. This is not the direction I thought you were taking me in. When, when I committed my life to following you, I, I, I thought you were going to take me here and, 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 and there. And, and now I find myself here. Have you ever been in a place where you've thought, God, why did you... Lead me here. I, I'm following you. Why did you lead me here? Well, let's let Jesus speak. Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 27, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. They follow me. I want to ask you today, where are you prepared to follow Jesus to? And before you answer, people sometimes say, Where he leads, I will follow. Easy to say, a little bit more difficult to do, and I think it's important before we ask even such a question that we would we would consider and reflect on the fact that the Jesus journey led those who followed to a cross. It led them to a cross. Not every place Jesus went, the disciples, I want to say, were happy to go. Maybe not every place, I'm just going to be honest with you, that Jesus will lead you, you'll necessarily go, this is great. In fact, like I've said, you've probably hit phases of life going, this is not great. Why am I here, Lord? Why am I in this situation? Not every place Jesus led the disciples, they were happy to go. Where are you prepared to follow Jesus to? When Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, it says in Matthew 16, verse 13. When Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people, who does the world out there, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say? That's who they say I am. But who do you say that I am? And Peter replied, you are the Christ. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church. On this rock, I will build my church. And listen, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You know, in this short conversation between Jesus and his disciples, it's taking place towards the end of Jesus' ministry. He's on his way to Jerusalem. He's on his way to the cross. But, but this conversation towards the end of Jesus' ministry is a significant moment, not just in the ministry of Jesus, but also in the life of the disciples. They have been walking 
with him, following in the footsteps of Jesus for three years. They have seen the multiplied thousands sit mesmerized as Jesus spoke on a hill overlooking the sea of Galilee. They have witnessed with their own eyes Jesus cast out devils, walk on water, feed 5,000. They have seen him perform a multitude of miracles, signs, and wonders. But this moment, this was different. This was the moment where the, where the penny drops. This is the moment where, 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 where the light goes on, where the switch is flicked. In this moment, it dawns on them that Jesus is not, not just a rabbi. He's not just a rabbi. A rabbi simply means a teacher, a Jewish teacher. This is that moment that where it dawns on them that he's not just a teacher, although he teaches. Where it dawns on them that he's, he's not just a healer, although he heals. It dawns on them that he's not just a prophet, although he prophesies. This is that moment where they finally get it. It's like that ah moment. The light goes on. They understand something that they hadn't seen before. This is where they now understand and declare, you are the Christ. The word Christ means anointed one. You are the anointed one. You are the, the, the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And when Peter, Peter said that, Jesus was like, boom, drop the mic. He's like, you got it. You understand it. And he says, this secret, this, this revelation, this understanding... You didn't get it by using your own common sense. No, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven, my Father, God has revealed this to you. And then he says, Peter, I, I, I want to tell you something. On this rock, on this rock, I will build my church. I will build my church, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So what was significant about this moment that was say different to other moments? Well, it's the first time. It's the first time that Jesus mentions or speaks about the future church. It's the first time he mentions this thing that's to come called the church. It's the first time he mentions, if you like, a part of the mission of the church. And what was going on here at this time in Caesarea Philippi was that, that this was like, you could say, a team talk. They'd walked with him for three years. They'd followed him. And this was like a team talk. This is where he's like, come on, let's, put, let, let's pull this together now. Yeah. Uh, other scholars and Bible writers will say this is a commissioning time. This is like you've been walking with me for a few years now. Now let me tell you the business. Let, now let me tell you what's ahead. If you read on in the following verses, which we don't have time today, read in your own, uh, own uh, time. But you'll see Jesus immediately in this conversation gives the disciples. He says, now I'm going to give you, as he's commissioning them, I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom. So I've been holding these keys. I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom. I want you to carry these. He then talks about binding and loosing. He, he, he says, whatever you bind on earth, 
will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And as he's describing, and in this moment, this is where he goes on to tell his disciples what he must suffer. He goes on to tell his disciples that he must die. He must suffer. He must die. And there's that famous moment in this passage, which we're, we're probably not going to look too much of, of that today, but that's where Peter turns around and is like, are you kidding me? This is the Adam International Version. He's like, he's like are you kidding me? There's no way we're going to let that happen to you. There's no way, Jesus, we're going to let the people take. And remember what Jesus said. He said, like, get behind me, Satan. This is that moment. As they suddenly became aware of that which is here. This was an important team talk. Jesus is telling the disciples of the future challenges, of their future challenges and responsibilities. His suffering and his death. But today what I want to focus on is not so much what Jesus said, but rather where Jesus said it. I want to focus on where Jesus said what he said, because the backdrop of this conversation really does add weight to our understanding of what is being said. See, the place the place all this is happening, the place adds perspective, and in turn, that adds power and weight to what Jesus is saying. And I believe the context of this situation will help us as believers be better prepared. Again, today I'm just speaking to believers. But the context of this will help us as believers be better prepared for the day in which we now, now live. Especially as we seek to genuinely and authentically follow Jesus. So here we go. Are you ready? Two of you, thank you. Are you ready? Come on, somebody. Oh, hallelujah, I'm so excited. You know, I found myself in the 8 a.m. service moving because I've been stuck in front of that camera for so long and weeks and I can't move because the microphone's just there. But now I can preach, hallelujah, Lord Jesus. I can, I can move. I can move, I can move. No, that's another song. Don't go there. So here we go. So here we go. Number one, where were they? Where were they? Where were they? Well, Scripture tells us that Jesus and his disciples were in an area called Caesarea Philippi. A place called Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi, where is it? It's found in the north of Israel, about an hour's drive, about 30 kilometers from Jesus' home base, Capernaum, which is on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. And so it's about, about 30 k's north north of that. It's actually at the base of Israel's highest mountain, Mount Hermon. What is Caesarea? Number two, what is Caesarea Philippi like today? If you were to go there today, you can go there as Anita and I have, and you will find a beautiful forest park-like setting. And because it's so beautiful, when we were there, we spent, I, I guess, about two hours there, when we, when we were there, I, I didn't really gauge the significance of the place because it was so stinking hot. And so as we got off the bus, because I was so happy, there were trees everywhere, because the first thing I wanted to do is get under some shade and get out of the heat. So I didn't really appreciate or gauge the significance of 
the place. It's only later with further study that I've come to a more fuller appreciation of what took place there at Caesarea Philippi. As Anita and I got off the bus and strolled through the area, one of the features that was a part of it was, was this crystal clear river flowing through the middle of the, of the park-like setting. It was, a, uh, it was amazing, crystal clear, just, just beautiful water flowing in there, which made it all the more better to relax in. However, as we journeyed upstream, not too far, it became clear that this huge volume of crystal clear water is literally flowing out from the base of a really huge rock face. This is actually the biggest rock face in Israel. And you can see where the arrow is pointing, just the water flowing out just from the base of the rock. It's really quite incredible uh, to see, really. I later found out that this huge spring is a major tributary of what is the Upper Jordan River. And it's, it's literally just coming out of the rock. Now, of course, that's how Caesarea Philippi is today, but we do have to ask the, the question, what was Caesarea Philippi like when Jesus visited with his disciples? Well, it was a very different place. Number three, Caesarea Philippi in the time of Jesus. This serene park-like setting that you and I can see and visit today was not the Caesarea Philippi Jesus, Jesus visited with his disciples. It was not like this. The serenity that people experience today masks what is a very dark, demonic, and devilish past. In the Old Testament times, this was a place known as Benias where the ancient Canaanites worshipped Baal. Called Caesarea Philippi in Jesus' day, it was a large, I want you to understand, it was a large, wild, wicked, and wayward city. This pagan Roman city had become the religious center for worship of the mythical flute-playing pagan fertility god, Pan, who was half man and half goat. In this picture that I showed you before, you would have noticed on the face of the rock above the water, where the water flows out, you will see what appears to be a massive cave entrance. It's massive. In Jesus' day, in Jesus' time, the spring water that you can now see flowing out the bottom of the rock actually used to flow out of the cave. That's where the spring water came from. But it didn't just flow out, it gushed out. In fact, the force and strength of the water coming out of that cave was violently brutal. It gushed. It, like a, it was just like a... a uh, a, a pressure cooker kind of thing coming out of that cave. That's how 
much water was flowing out of there. And when the ancients tried to measure the depth of the water and that, the spring coming out of the cave, it was said that it had no bottom. They could not find the bottom. It was like a bottomless pit. Over the centuries, earthquakes have destroyed the cave and diverted the waters so we no longer see the furious torrent that once was there. And as I put this cave up, uh, if you can go back to the last picture there, Danica, if you could, uh, the um, last one, one before. That cave that you just saw there is the little cave on the side. See the little cave? That's that. So I want you to gauge how big the cave actually actually is. It's ginormous. To the pagan mind, because it was bottomless, because of that which take took place there because it had no bottom in the pagan to the pagan mind it was believed by those who worshiped there you can take it off now it was believed by those who worshiped there first baal and then pan to be the gate to the underworld hades in other words this cave this cave on this rock was considered by the pagan worshippers of Jesus' day to be the very gates of hell. A temple was built in front of the entrance of this cave, as you can see in this photo. And at this place, over the centuries, unspeakable, unspeakable acts of pagan worship were committed bestiality, human sacrifices, to, ma to name just two. At times, it was said that the crystal clear water ran red with blood. As ones tried to appease and please the false pagan gods, first Baal and then the mythical flute playing half man, half goat, pagan fertility god, Pan. And it's an interesting side note that the God Pan's was said of the God Pan, his angry shout was said to scare and frighten people in lonely places. And is in fact where we get the English word that we use today, panic. Such was the evil and wickedness in Caesarea Philippi the Jewish rabbis forbid, absolutely forbid Jews to even go near the place. No pious Jew in their right mind would go near there. I mean, this was sin city, the immorality, the idol worship, the debauchery. I mean, it was next level. It was off the charts. And Jewish rabbis made it clear, no good Jew no pious Jew would ever set foot in Caesarea Philippi. So what on earth was Jesus doing there? That's point number four. What was Jesus doing there? Why did he take his disciples there? Why, why, why did he 
ask his disciples to follow him, that you can be relatively sure that as they, because he was on his way to Jerusalem, he was on his way, which was south, and this is north, but this was the route he took them on. This is the route he's going on. He's taking them in a, and you can bet as they were getting closer to where this is and figuring out where he was taking them, I can assure you they would be a little bit uncomfortable. Jesus, are you sure you're going in the right direction? Have you ever done that as part of your life when you feel like you, Lord, are you sure this is the right direction? Maybe you're feeling that now. Lord, is you, are you sure? This is the right direction you want me to go? I mean, should we be going in this direction? You, you can be sure they were feeling a little uncomfortable. I mean, Caesarea Philippi, right, is the enemy's territory. It's the, it's the devil's turf. Remember, the rabbis say no good Jew would ever set foot in Caesarea Philippi. They, 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 and, and there's a reason for that, because they didn't want to be defiled. They would stay away lest they be defiled. Jews live their life as many pious and orthodox Jews do today. They, they, they would live their lives and work hard to, to keep pure, not to contaminate them, uh, themselves, to, to, to live and be, be separate from the world and to, to avoid evil. That was the, like their aim, so as what? So as not to become unclean. Yet here we find the rabbi Jesus deliberately and intentionally in this place. Jesus with his disciples has walked right smack dab into the middle of the enemy's territory and is standing with his followers in a place which is a physical representation of the very gates of hell. In a place that my study Bible tells me really represents the powers of death and all forces opposed to Christ and his kingdom. That's where he is standing. And this is why, for me, what Jesus said is made all the more powerful when we understand where Jesus was saying it. Jesus was like giving a next level illustrated sermon. He wasn't just talking about the battle we're in. He took them to the battlefield and was standing in the middle of the battle. He wasn't just, he wasn't just doing a theory lesson about the warfare that we're involved in. He was doing a practical. It wasn't just theory. He's doing, he's standing right there on the battlefield. He didn't just talk about the fight. He took them to the fight. This physical place, Caesarea Philippi, represented a spiritual reality. What was going on here? I want to tell you, this was a declaration of war. As one writer put it like this, at the foot of this debauched mountain, Jesus threw the gauntlet at Satan's feet. His time was over. Jesus was sending a message to every principality and power in the seen and unseen world that there is a coming battle for the souls of men. 
And he was doing it at the very gates of the enemy. See, understand something about gates. Gates are defensive structures. Gates are there to, to stop the enemy in ancient times. Gates are there to stop the enemy coming in. They were defensive structures. If the enemy's coming to attack, you would close the gates. The enemy might stand outside and taunt. Well, I think Jesus was standing outside and say, enemy, you better get ready. Jesus was standing at that which represented the very gates of hell, declaring that these gates, they will not prevail. Well, friend, I don't know what's coming against you, but you've got to understand those gates, Jesus said, will not prevail. In fact, Jesus in this moment, dare I say it, was suggesting that those gates should be attacked. Jesus was on the offensive, not on the defensive. The disciples had followed Jesus, listen, into the heart of enemy territory. And this is that moment that they are being challenged to not be ones. Jesus is challenging them not to be ones who run away, avoid, cower in fear. To not be ones who, 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 would, who would hide from the evil one, but, but, but rather be ones who would take it, take it on. In this moment, Jesus was commissioning his disciples to attack evil, to, to, to attack that which stands against his kingdom. Jesus was saying, you are called. This is part of their mission. You are, you are called to take the battle to the enemy. Can I hear an amen on that one? To storm the gates of hell, which Jesus said as we storm them, they will not prevail against the triumphant Church, that's your mission. If the keys can come. You know, as we talk today, I want to say to you today, the mission of the church hasn't changed. You know, as Christians, I think we can so easily. It's just a natural flow. We can so easily get overwhelmed by all the darkness that surrounds. We can so easily go, man, I don't want to be in this place of darkness. I don't want to be in this place where where the enemy is. I, I mean, I don't want to be near these gates. I'd rather be... T- 20 miles away, I'd rather, I, I, I want to avoid these things. I, I don't want to come near these things. You know, as Christians, we can so easily slip into that mode of the mode of the pious Jew where, where I, don't, I, I don't want to be unclean. I, I, want to, I want to keep away. I want to separate I don't want to be near this. I don't want to take the battle to the enemy. But again, I 
Repeat, not every place Jesus went, the disciples were happy to go. Maybe you're here today going, Lord, why? In whatever situation that you're facing, you're going, Lord, why am I here? Why did you bring me to this place? I followed you. I thought you'd take me there. This is not the direction I thought you would take me in. But can I tell you, our Christian life is not about us. It's about Him and what He desires for our life. Our mission has not changed. We, the church, were commanded to storm the gates of hell, which Jesus has promised will not hold up under the triumphant forces of the church. A prince of preachers, Charles Spurgeon, said this, the church in the hands of God is a mighty weapon. The church in the hands of God is a mighty weapon. My challenge to us all today, to us as believers, as people who seek to follow Him, my challenge to us is stay on mission. Don't get distracted. Don't get fearful. Don't get worried. Don't get, don't panic. Stay on mission. You, you might feel, why, Lord, why have you led me here to this situation? to this place, you might be saying, well, I'm the only believer in my workplace. Well, maybe that's why you're there, right? So maybe, oh, my workplace is so dark. My, it's, it's so much pressure, so much things are happening. Perhaps you're to be a light in that darkness. Come on, somebody. Perhaps you're to be the one to shine a light in that situation that others can see. Jesus said, I will build my church. You are the church. I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Would you stand? Just bow your heads wherever you are. Let me pray. Speak some things over you right now. God, I pray for every single person who is a part of this church, a part of this body. God, I pray, Father God, under the sound of my voice right now, I declare what your word says, that thou has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. And so right now in this moment, I break off fear in people's lives. I break off panic in people's lives. I break off worry right now in Jesus' name. Lord, I declare right now, no matter what situation people are facing, that you would grant thy servants boldness. Father, as some will stand 
even in these times, at what appears like the very gates of hell, like the enemies coming after them. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Lord, back in the day, we used to talk of the church as an army, the army of God. We understand today, we are not just individuals just trying to get by and trying to survive. We are part of the army of God. Can I hear an amen in this place? We are a part of the army of God. The church birthed in this moment with Christ standing at the very gates of what represent the very gates of hell. Lord, help us to be one. Ones who are fearless, full of faith, ready to go where you lead us into battle. Lord, we know our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We have an enemy, the devil. And to, today we declare in this church, we, we will do battle. We will not fear. But you've called us to attack those very gates and that they will not prevail. Help us to rescue people. Help us to be ones who pull people from the pit with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Grant thy servants boldness, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you put your hands out like this as I pronounce a blessing over you? Remember after this service, if you need prayer for anything, there's a prayer station over to the side here where you can get prayer. But let me pronounce. I hope that helped you today. Stay on mission, people. Stay on mission. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you shalom, peace. And everybody said, amen. Would you turn to the person next?